We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. It's Arthur Idala on AM 970. The answer. This is the Arthur Idala Power Hour with quintessential New Yorker attorney Arthur Idala, New York's go-to lawyer. He's here to share his stories from in the courtroom and around the city with interviews from high-profile guests and everyday folks calling in to talk about everything from politics, lifestyle, health and wellness, and more. And now your host, making the case for the city he loves, attorney Arthur Idala. Back again, 604 on a Thursday. If you're in your car, if you're in your kitchen, if you're doing the helping homework, the kids with the homework, whatever you're doing, I'm glad you're listening in. We all need to say a, uh, a respective joint prayer for Detective Dominic Libretti, the 33-year-old, very brave police officer, very, very brave police officer who is undergoing surgery uh, regarding the gunshot wound that he, he received to his leg. Earlier today, um, I watched my friend, Detective Paul DiGiacomo, who's in charge of the Detectives Union, asking for our thoughts and prayers. The uh, surgeon said that this is, it is a life-threatening injury, although they uh, uh, they are very optimistic that he will be fine. It could be a career-ending injury. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. 19 days into the Adams administration, I mean, how much uh, how much more could they have thrown at them? Uh, last night, there was a 11-month-old baby in the Bronx who uh, was struck by a stray bullet. Um, there was another shooting about 1.30 this afternoon, also in the Bronx, uh, no one from the police department, uh, no no police officers were injured, but the assailant was um, was killed. He apparently was shot, and then he jumped into the water, and the police saved him and resuscitated him. But by the time he got to the hospital, he um, he expired. There is a lot going on here in the city of New York right now. And anyone who is going to start saying, oh, well, Eric Adams isn't up for the job and the Adams administration doesn't know what they're doing. I mean, that's just foolish. Um, Everyone, all of our listeners are in for a tremendous treat, a tremendous treat. A person who's become a dear friend um, is going to give us a lot of insight in just 10 minutes about what goes on in City Hall in the beginning of an administration. Um, but I was on the phone this morning with uh, the guest from last week, Chief of Staff Frank Carone. He was explaining to me how, I mean, they are working on this nonstop. I mean, I will, my friend Frank sounded so tired this morning. And I said, Frank, you know, you really sound tired. He's like, well, I was with the mayor in the Bronx. We're about the, the 11 month old until, you know, one o'clock in the morning. And I, I'm speaking to him at six something in the morning. And then, while we're talking, another call comes through, and that's when the police officer got shot uh, in Staten Island. So it's it's fast and furious, but they're not, I mean, nobody is taking this lightly at all. And you could say that not only citywide, but statewide, uh, 
Tom Swazi. Well, let me back up for a second. If you listen to Paul DiGiacomo, he's the head of the Detective Endowment Association. You know, he's obviously very upset with the bail reform laws. The um, the guy who actually shot Dominic Libretta, or Libretti, police officer, Detective Libretti, had seven prior arrests. By the way, he was not the target of the warrant that they were executing. Um, the target of the warrant was Anthony Marshall, who was um, apprehended for selling felony weight crack and cocaine. Who? Where is crack anymore? I mean, I thought crack was over, but obviously not if they have a, a, a warrant for apprehending him for, for dealing crack. Um, but the Giacomo from the DEA obviously was very upset about the bail laws, and he's also very upset about the Manhattan DA, even though this is a different jurisdiction. The Manhattan DA, let's face it, is the chief legal law enforcement officer of the city in in theory, not in reality. And the fact that he's so soft on, or his policies on that day one memo seem to be very soft on crime. Tom Swazi, who now is running for governor, he just put out a commercial saying, if I am the governor and, and uh, D.A. Bragg still has these policies, I will remove him as the governor. I mean, that's a bold statement for him to say. But I was at a lunch today that I'm going to tell you about. It was very interesting. Um, it was in honor of New York State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli, who uh, he's been the New York State Comptroller for 15 years. And by his report that he gave at this lunch today, luckily, and a lot of it has to do with federal money and some tax increases, financially, the city of New York is in good shape. He controls the pension funds. So he controls the school teachers, the sanitation workers, the police officers, the fire department workers, everyone who has a city pension. He has their money in his hands um, investing it. And he said that even with very conservative projections, the city, the state is in good shape financially. Um, now, what I just told you, I got to make sure it's true because the state and the city, and maybe my next guest could actually clarify that. But in terms of the state pensions, which I know the district attorney's office falls under that, he said, you know, we're in really good shape. But I believe the city is as well because we just got all this money from the federal government. Where it comes from, I don't know. I'm not smart enough. Is there just a printing press? They just keep printing, 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 and then just put it in the bank and write us a check? We're not sure. Maybe we'll have a guest on to explain that to us because the the numbers that they talk about, billions, trillions, are just, they blow your mind. But uh, it's interesting to hear a candidate for governor target a district attorney saying, if I'm elected, one of my platform, the one of the platforms that I'm running on is to remove the DA who's been in office 18 days. It's a bold move by uh, Tom Swazi, but obviously crime is an issue. I, you know, I remember when Joe Hines ran for New York State Attorney General in 1994 when Rudy had just gotten in and he, you know, it takes a while and our next guest will tell you it takes a while to fix things. It's not a light switch. Uh, and Joe Hines's um, motto was for his campaign for attorney general is if we don't fight crime, the other fights don't matter. So that people, you know, housing is important and education is important, but getting pushed and killed on the subway tracks, an 11 month old getting shot, police officers, three of them getting shot in a matter of hours. You know, those are our number one priorities. And those are the things that need to be addressed. At the lunch today, um, I was with um, Senator D'Amato as well as um, the 
uh, the controller as and I was with uh, John Katsimatidis and uh, Vincent Lavienne, who invited me to the lunch. And, you know, what what uh, D'Amato was saying is that everyone needs to work together, Democrats and Republicans, nationally and locally. And he I got to tell you, he started talking to us in a very intimate way about what it was like when he was in Washington, especially in the beginning. And people would never believe this today. But he said Moynihan, the Democratic senator, turned out to be one of his closest friends and his greatest allies. And to give an example of that was which is very relevant to what's going on in the Senate right now with the filibuster. There was a uh, a topic and he said what it was, but I forget what it was, where where D'Amato gave a 15 hour filibuster. And he said at two thirty in the morning, the only one who came down to give him a bottle of water was Patrick Moynihan. Uh, he also recounted another story where something was going on in New York and uh, upstate New York uh, having to do with the closure of a, a military base that they were going to save and they were going to do a joint news conference at the military base. But D'Amato's mom wasn't doing well. And Senator D'Amato wanted to go back to Long Island to visit his mom as opposed to going up to uh, Watertown, New York. And Senator Moynihan said, don't you worry, Al, I got you covered. And he went up there, Senator Moynihan, and he made this impassioned speech about Senator D'Amato saving the military base. Um, I mean, that type of people working together is what we need to focus on in fighting crime, in fighting poverty, in fighting homelessness, in fighting mental illness. It was it was so refreshing to hear those stories from the unfortunately the nineteen eighties and I guess the early nineties. I mean, he talked about also just to make you laugh the first time they went out, uh, uh, Moynihan and Damato. He said the next morning at eleven o'clock, Moynihan's on the floor making this impassioned speech. Damato goes, "I wasn't the same for three days because I was so hurting and groggy." Alluding to the fact that I guess Senator Moynihan was able to throw back a couple of uh, drinks a lot better than Senator D'Amato was. But Senator D'Amato did not speak very highly of Washington and the state of affairs in Washington and the lack of cooperation in Washington. Uh, And his message was, which was an interesting message, because there were a lot of public servants in the room. Um, He said, you know, if you want to serve your community and you want to be involved in public in in the public service, the more local you focus on, the more of an impact you're going to have. He said, I felt more connected to my community when I forget what he was, the mayor of Glen Cove or something along those lines, than when I was a United States senator, because at the local level, there's a lot less infighting and a lot more accomplishments, tangible accomplishments. You know, he used to be called Senator Pothole because if you had a pothole or the traffic signal was malfunctioning, you would call him and he would immediately jump on it. But his over the overarching message was Democrats and Republicans have to like lay down their swords and work together to make this country the best that it could be. So we have um, a lot of topics to discuss with our next guests from what things used to be like to what things are like right now and what the future is going to look like. Our next guest is Bruce Teitelbaum. Um, Quote, Bruce is the best. He's been effective in everything he's done. He brings to the table incredible political, administrative, and policy skills. 
And of course, he's articulate, a brilliant strategist, and he has an outstanding sense of humor. He was Rudy Giuliani's chief of staff. He was the deputy chief of staff when they first got into City Hall. So we're going to talk about what it was like and uh, an insider's look into what City Hall is like for a brand new administration. Giuliani coming in after Dinkins and uh, Eric Adams coming in after Bill de Blasio. Unique times and we're going to have a unique guest. But before we have a unique guest, I'm going to tell you what needs to be done. Let me tell you what needs to be done in your family to take care of your family. In my little law law office in Brooklyn, New York, I have people come in all the time who are either my age or a little older to talk about all different things, whether it's a real estate closing or some sort of a little business they want to buy. And I always say to them, by the way, do you you have everything in order? They go, what do you mean? I said, well, God forbid you leave here and something happens to you medically. Are you in good shape regarding a will? Regarding a, a, a healthcare proxy, regarding a power of attorney or a living or a, a living will, you have any estate plan? And I cannot tell you how many times people say, "No, nope, sorry, we don't. No, nope, I don't." Well, that's a mistake. That's a big mistake. You're about to buy a house, you don't have a will. You're about to open a business, you don't have a, a, a power of attorney that if something happens to you, someone could handle your affairs. And you know what I do? I say, "Listen to me. Call my friend Mike Connors at Connors and Sullivan." His number is 718-238-6500. Write it down right now, 718-238-6500. Or else, just pick up your phone, go on their website, connorsandsullivan.com, because I tell them what Mike Connors will tell them. The biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is not planning at all. Take On Me by Aha. Uh-huh. I believe it gets filed under the one-hit wonders. But my next guest is not a one-hit wonder. But if you think about 1985, um, Bruce Teitelbaum in 1985, that was the time that Eric Adams campaigned on uh, where we would be walking around with our radios in our hand, right? Right. You remember right. that? Yep. You'd go into a restaurant and you'd have to find a place, not to put your hat and coat. Where are you putting your Benzie box? Correct. And as you know, because you and I attended some events together with Eric, where, you know, he campaigned on where we accepted that Benzie box world and he's not going to allow us to accept to accept what's going on in New York City right now. That has to be fixed. So before we dig into the current situation, uh, well, you let me, let me ask you a question, though. I, 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 this is the first time you've had a guest in studio on your show. Yeah. So I'm privileged. I'm honored. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's also, very luxurious. It's beautiful here. Well, the other thing is this. We are live streaming it, and you're like the most handsome guy I know. No question Especially about at, that. at the end of this segment, we'll talk about your clothing uh, preferences <laughs> because you are a clothes horse. Um, but you were 34 years old when you walked into City Hall or 33? I was, I was 33, I think. 32, 33, yeah. Okay, and let's just set the stage. Rudy Giuliani squeaks by... Uh, Mayor Dinkins. Correct. You worked very hard in that campaign. Right. Correct. And crime was through the roof. And now, unlike 
uh, let's say Ed Koch or David Dinkins, who are bringing in people from Dinkins is bringing people from the Koch administration. Koch had people from Lindsay and from uh, a beam. Right. Rudy Giuliani's a Republican. He's got no one to really reach back to. So you guys are all kind of fresh faces right. in City Hall. Is that correct? We sort of cleaned house when Rudy came in. Um, you had people correctly. These were all people who worked for David Dinkins. So Rudy sort of uh, had his own way of doing things, obviously. Thank God he did. We cleaned house, but all new people. And the, the people, the top 10 or 12 people at City Hall, who basically helped him run the city day to day, were all new to government. No one e- was ever in government before. We literally couldn't find the bathrooms for a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so now who was the chief of staff initially? Randy Mastro. Randy um, Mastro, who's now a spectacular lawyer. Big shot lawyer. Yep. Um, he was the chief of staff. And then Rudy had three or four people who were close to him, people from childhood. Um, we had some former U.S. attorneys, um, a couple of very prominent business people. And just give us, and so you were the deputy chief of staff. Correct. Now, does that mean you work under Mastro or you're. No, no, no I didn't ever, I never answered to Mastro. Giuliani had me answer directly to him. Okay. That, was, that was part of the deal I had with Rudy. Um, in fact, I had an office in City Hall. A lot of folks said to me back then, how in the hell did you get an office in City now, Hall? Now, were you in the basement in one of those little, like. I, Arthur, you know, I was in the basement <laughs> initially, but I worked my way up to the better real estate on the main floor. Okay. And ultimately, I was right next to Rudy's office. And um, I spent a lot of years there. Then when, when I became chief of staff, I took over a bigger office. And you, did, you became chief of staff relatively quickly. About a year and a half into the job, yeah. And tell me, wh- those first weeks, yeah. you know, everyone thinks back to, oh, I withdraw that. Many of us <laughs> think back to the Giuliani uh, years as, you know, the glory days, the heydays. But what we forget is... Rudy's first year was not exactly smooth sailing, correct? Correct. It was tough. The first year was tough. Well, well, give, give me a little detail. Give well, me a little detail. What know, was tough? Well, you know, when you first come in, as you correctly said, crime was totally out of control. Budget was, was in terrible condition. Um, we had a couple of incidents very quickly when we first came in, some major crimes. Um, there was an incident in Harlem. So he was challenged very, very quickly. Thankfully, he had a lot of good people around him. The analogy I make is to Eric Adams. Thank God for Eric Adams. He's a lot of good people around him. He's coming after a, you know, I think a very, very uh, tough time following the previous mayor. So who you have around you is very important. He's got good people around him. And Eric is a good guy. But people have to give him a chance. He's been there for two and a half weeks. It's going to take some time to right the ship. Now, when you, am I correct? Wasn't there an issue when Rudy Giuliani first came in? with the NYPD and their budget, and then they want raises, then they want more money, and that that didn't come through at first, and there was some protests by City Hall by the police? Or am I dreaming that up? No, I mean, at the, I mean, my recollection was at the time, you know, there were a lot of budget problems. The, the cops wanted more money. Um, ultimately, they got a raise, but Rudy wasn't a pushover, even though the cops and the firemen loved him, and they should have. Um, Rudy understood he had a budget that was responsible for the entire city. So there were no giveaways. There were no, no gifts to anybody. Um, but the cops obviously loved him, and so did the, so did the firemen. What were, to the best of your recollection, I know we're talking about 28 yeah, years yeah. ago. Um, what were the biggest challenges that you remember those that first six months, that first year, you know, getting your some traction, getting your feet under you, even even for you? Not I'm not even talking about for Rudy. I'm talking about as a young person in City Hall. I got to tell you, the toughest thing for me was turning down free reservations at restaurants, tickets to sporting events, because suddenly, Arthur, you understand once you're in City Hall, everyone loves you. 
people you haven't heard from from high school. I went to I went to school in Brooklyn in the yeshiva. I didn't hear from guys for twenty five years. I become chief of staff. I'm the I'm the most popular guy in New York. Well, you all kidding aside, <laughs> Bruce. I mean, you became a household name because you were very active chief of staff. I mean, right. Rudy was a very active mayor, and right. then shortly into his tenure, in other words, Randy Mastro was kind of there in the beginning, right. during the rough part, and then when Rudy really started to take off, you, you know, it was Bruce Teitelbaum, Bruce Teitelbaum, Bruce Teitelbaum. Right. So. You know, it, it was tough. Look, it was tough. You know, at that time, remember, crime was out of control. So the first thing he had to do and his team, he had a great police commissioner, Bill Bratton, um, a lot of good folks, was addressing crime. There were a couple of major incidents um, that happened. There was a shooting, uh, unfortunate shooting in Midtown that caused a lot of controversy. So he was challenged quickly. And of course, as you said, he was a Republican. You know, back then, being a Republican and an elected mayor of New York was unheard of. So he had a lot of people he had to, you know, prove that he was going to work with them. And in a city like New York, where they hadn't elected a Republican mayor in 30 years, it was kind of tough. And what a little insight, because I think it's very much the same. You guys get a call in City Hall that a police officer, a police officer is shot. Right. Tell me what happens inside City Hall. Yeah, is so, there a chain of command? Is there yeah. a, a, a three-ring binder that you open up and say, this is what we do when a police so officer is shot? What would typically happen is that the mayor, at least Rudy, had bodyguards from the, from the, from the NYPD. They work for the Intelligence Division. When God forbid a cop got shot, something happened, an incident, they would get called first by the police department. They would then immediately go to either Rudy or if I was with him to me, the mayor would be informed. Rudy had a policy. Police officer shot, fireman is injured, any uniformed service person, he goes right to the hospital. So no matter what was on the agenda, we get into the car. We called it the ice cream truck. It was a big white Suburban. Um, and we get into the Suburban, drive to the hospital. He took up a command post. Um, he would... We knew he wanted. He wanted this police commissioner there. He wanted his communications people there. He wanted um, his his top team around him. He wanted the local council person, elected officials from that community. We get a room at the hospital, and it was a command post. And then he would, you know, meet with folks, get the understanding of what happened, maybe get on the phone with the DA, uh, hold a press conference, meet with the family. So there was a routine. We knew what he wanted. But again, you were right. We never did this before. Um, it was all new to us. We just learned pretty quickly, I guess. And as the uh, chief of staff, is, are you the one? Were you the one who was in charge of finding the DA, finding this, or that's something you delegate? So at the, it, it, it depended. You know, if there was something um, where he'd get a call, I was with him, let's say. We were driving to an event and it happened, I'd be the one. If we were in City Hall, he might call the first deputy mayor, or he might call the police commissioner directly. Who was the first deputy mayor? At you that guys? time, Peter Powers. Oh, sure. Fred, he was the first absolutely. deputy mayor. He was the guy who was Rudy's friend from childhood. Right. So it depends. You know, if you're out in the car, right, you go into an event, you get, an off, you get a call, someone shot, something happens, there's a fire. It depends. If you're in City Hall, different story. Let's talk about the media for a second. So, because some folks don't know, the media has a room right in City Hall, correct? Room 9. Room 9, right? It's a story room. My grandfather used to work there right. when, he, when he wrote for the Daily Mirror back in the, 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 the old days, right. in the 50s. Um Tell me about, so the, the media often attacks the mayor. The media often attacked Rudy Giuliani. So what's the what's it like, right? You're Bruce Tidelman, you're the chief of staff. You're walking by Room 9, and there's the guys who are just crushing your man in the paper. How do you handle that? So it's funny. They'd always grab you. To, also, the reporters loved you, too, because they wanted to snooker you. They wanted to convince you that they were your friends. And people who never did this before didn't understand that if you didn't tell a reporter that you were speaking off the record, anything you said, as you know, Arthur, could be used against you. And they never missed a chance. So... <laughs> 
You know, what you did was, it's like human nature. You find a couple of reporters who are friendly, who are normal and decent people, and you'd speak to them. The reporters would give you a hard time. You never spoke to them at would all. Would you just duck them? You'd just be, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in a rush. Me? Yeah. No, I'd just give them, I would give them, you know, the Brooklyn easy, Signal. Easy, I'd give them the easy. Brooklyn Signal, and that would be the end and of it. And since you're a lawyer, I just want to back up one second. When you said you became very popular and people wanted to take you to restaurants and ball games, yeah. why is chief of staff, why couldn't you go to the there's, restaurants there's, there's, there's a rule, Go right? Ahead. There's a good rule. That, and back then, I forgot what the actual number was. You couldn't accept a gift above a certain amount of money. So if you got a call from some restaurant guy, I said, come in you know, for a meal. That you could take the reservation, but you had to pay for it. Um, if someone offered you tickets to a game, you could take it, but you had to pay for it. And Rudy was meticulous about you know, telling people you can't accept anything because he was a prosecutor and an honest guy. So, But the, it was great, though. Any reservation I wanted, any ticket I wanted, <laughs> not a problem. But I paid for everything. I understand. All right. Well, listen, Bruce, this has been a, really a fantastic look inside City Hall. Like, oh, they should be a, you should do a TV show called Inside City Hall. <laughs> um, we're going to take a, a break. Um, when we get back, I want to just address a little bit of what's going on now. Sure. And I do know you have you currently have access to City Hall. And if they called you up tomorrow, you know what would you be telling them? Uh, you think needs to be done based on your experience. And then I want to hear a little bit about because you are a, a tried and true New Yorker. What you're doing at this point in your life to make New York better? I'll tell you one of the things that the former um, the former chief of police told me today was that the, one of the problems they're having with all these guns is there's something now called ghost guns. You know what ghost guns are? Yes, yes. Where they just order the different parts, right. which is legal to order the different parts, and then they put their own gun together. 3D printing. They, right, and there's no, there's no serial number, there's no tracing, there's no nothing, and it makes it very difficult... Or more, much more difficult for police officers to solve crimes because you can't. If you have the bullets, you don't have a gun in to match the bullets to to find out well who bought this gun and where did they buy it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I it's six twenty nine, and you guys should stay tuned because we're coming back with Bruce Teitelbaum who will regale us with worlds <laughs> pearls of wisdom. I'm Lou Dobbs. American Airlines posting a $931 million loss. Union membership in America hits a new low, and M&M's candy now comes in plain, peanut, and woke. Those stories next. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or if, like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now. And they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years. Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now, 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. American Airline profits went into a tailspin in the fourth quarter. The Dallas-based carrier says it lost more than $931 million in the final three months of last year, directly attributed to the Omicron variant of the China virus. 
as if to prove talk show host Dennis Prager's observation that everything the left touches, it ruins. The iconic M&M's candy characters seen on TV commercials are getting a woke makeover to be more inclusive and gender neutral. On Wall Street, stocks closed lower again today. The Dow Jones Industrials down 313 points. This may surprise some people because of President Biden's constant trumpeting of labor unions. But only one in ten Americans belonged to unions last year. That's a new low in union membership not seen since 1983. Please join me three times each weekday for my updates right here on this station. This is the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. News, opinion, passion. This is AM 970, The Answer. 33 degrees, we have partly cloudy skies on this Thursday evening. What's going on? We have the answer. A burglary suspect was shot and killed by police in the Bronx this afternoon. Police say it happened around 1.30 on Bronx Boulevard, not far from the Bronx River, after police responded to a burglary in progress. Police say the suspect was armed with a gun but refused to drop it. In addition, an officer was also injured but expected to be okay. The shooting marks the third police shooting in the last 48 hours. Authorities say arson is to blame for the fire that closed parts of the Garden State Parkway yesterday. State police in New Jersey say several people, possibly kids, started the fire underneath the parkway in Brick Township. It started near milepost 31 near exit 91 around 5 o'clock. Police say the suspects were then seen running into the Evergreen Woods Park apartment complex, which parallels the parkway. And an environmental review is now being started on a proposed new rail line connecting Brooklyn and Queens. Governor Hochul is in Brooklyn today to highlight the 14-mile line that uses existing freight tracks. The proposed line stretches from Bay Ridge to Jackson Heights and will connect 17 subway stations and is estimated to carry 80,000 riders a day. Local officials say this will help underserved residents in Brooklyn and Queens by cutting down travel times between the two boroughs. It's unclear just yet on when the stations will be built and when the trains will start running. Taking a look at the traffic in Brooklyn, very long delays on the BQE traveling westbound from the Williamsburg Bridge right on down to the Brooklyn Bridge. We're looking at some delays eastbound off the Prospect up towards Atlantic Avenue, then a pretty good ride after that. The outbound Brooklyn Bridge heading towards Brooklyn. That's a slow ride. Manhattan Bridge, that's slow heading towards Manhattan. Williamsburg Bridge will be your best bet. Cloudy and cold tonight, low 15. Partly sunny skies tomorrow, high 24. Sunny on Saturday with a high of 28. And partly sunny Sunday with a high of 35. And now you know what's going on. I am Mike Barker on AM 970, The Answer. We're back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour with New York City's preeminent trial attorney and quintessential New Yorker, attorney Arthur Idala. So before we get back to my friend Bruce Teitelbaum, the former chief of staff to Rudy Giuliani and, and just a wonderful New Yorker who was always making contributions, I want to make sure that if you're going to take some money out of the bank to go buy a car or if you need some credit to go buy a car, you don't make the mistake of going anywhere else except Platinum Mitsubishi. Now, that does not mean you got to go buy a Mitsubishi, although, just Google it. Google the, uh, the Outlander, the brand-new Outlander. Google the reviews that it, it's getting through the roof. Bang for your buck. Platinum-Mitsubishi.com or just call 732-863-2788. 732-863-2788. Ask for Angelo. He's the general manager. He's the man. And tell him either you want to check out a new Mitsubishi or you need another car. 
uh, a used car, and you can be specific. You need a sedan, you need an SUV, you need a Subaru, you need an Alfa Romeo, whatever it is, they'll find it, deliver it to your door, take care of the financing for you, and you'll have an absolutely clear head. Now, at Platinum Mitsubishi, I don't think they ever referred to me as articulate, a brilliant strategist, and having a terrific sense of humor. Although, I think I have a pretty good sense of humor. Um, but Bruce Teitelbaum, that's what he was called by Rudy Giuliani. Although, Rudy must have a decent opinion of me, at least these days, because <laughs> he's got a couple of legal balls in the air, and somehow or another, me and my law firm are representing him. Um, so, Bruce Teitelbaum, yeah. who's been in, in and around government since he's 33, all I will say is that you guys could do the math. <laughs> that was 28 years ago. Um, Bruce, Eric Adams calls you this weekend and says, Bruce, let's go for a beer. You were in my shoes, you know, when you were a young man. You lived through this. Of course, it was different because of technology and things like that. But, you know, talk to me. Give me a little constructive criticism. Give me some advice. Help me out here. So, first of all, I would tell him to grab a Chianti, not a beer. <laughs> but, but once he was having some vino, I would tell him he's got to listen to his instincts. Stay the course. You know, everyone's a genius. Everyone's going to call him with all sorts of advice. Eric has been a winner in anything he's done. Remember, he rose to be a police captain. Ran for public office twice, won. Ran for mayor first time, won. He's a very smart guy. He's going to stick to his principles. He has to have two or three major objectives. Stick to those objectives. Reduce crime, get the city back to work, and right the ship. And then let everything else will take, you know, it'll come. But he's got to stay focused, stay true to his principles, surround himself with three or four really good people, and he'll be fine. And he says to you, Bruce, what do I do about this the mental illness problem? I yeah. got these people in the street. I, I, this poor woman got killed on the on the, on the tracks. I, yeah. You know, I don't know how to handle that. I, I could tell you one thing, Bruce: that the law doesn't allow me just to tell the police officers, "Hey, go throw cuffs on them and throw them in Rikers Island." Yeah. You, so, what do you think I do, Bruce? You know what? I would say to him, "Do it." Um, you have to get these people off the street. It's a much bigger problem, and it's a very big problem. And our heart goes out to folks who need help. But people on the street who are dangerous to themselves or others need to be taken off the street. And if we take them off the street and the ACLU or someone else wants to jump in to make a case out of it, do it. It's the smart thing to do and the right thing to do and the compassionate thing to do. That's what I tell them. All right. Uh, before we go into how you're helping New York, <laughs> um, I just want to – since you're a brilliant political strategist, according to uh, Mayor Giuliani, uh, I just want you to give me a little bit about the – I'll ask you a simple question. Will the governor's race, which the primaries are in June and then the, the general is in uh, November, will it be competitive? Will there be a competitive primary in the Democratic side, competitive primary in the Republican side? And then will there be a competitive primary, you know, I don't, competitive general election? No, I think Kathy Hochul is going to win the Democratic primary going away. And she's, she's the prohibitive favorite to win because, again, you're in New York State. But... Lee Zeldin, if he's the nominee, there were three people running, I guess, whoever the nominee is, people need to remember that Donald Trump won every county in New York State but six. So if the Republican nominee, whoever that is, can replicate Trump's you know, winning streak, plus pick off some votes downstate, they got a shot. Okay. All right. You heard it here from the brilliant political strategist, <laughs> Bruce Teitelbaum. All right, Bruce, tell us now. I know you're involved in so many projects, but I know you, your heart is in New York and making yeah. New York the best place it could be as a husband, as a father. Tell me what, uh, tell everyone who's listening right now what, what you're up to. Doing two quick things. You know, the mayor has said the most important thing is to get people back to work, create jobs, economic activity. I'm involved in a project now in Harlem, actually, called 145. It's a million square foot development, mixed use, mostly residential, but with a lot of retail and commercial space um, in the heart of Harlem at 145th Street. 
which 145 is 145 and where? What? 145th and Lenox Avenue. Okay. Uh, interestingly, one of my tenants is Al Sharpton and the National Action Network, which always makes things interesting. But this is a historic site, an important site in Harlem. And this project is hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of investment, private investment in Harlem, which is exactly what the city needs. I have a second project in Long Island City, which is at the site where Amazon was supposed to go. And I mean, I mean that was a disaster, obviously, losing Amazon. But the second site we're working on is in Long Island City, where the Amazon company was supposed to be. We're proposing to do a 3 million square foot project there with a non-vehicular footbridge connecting our site to Roosevelt Island, where the Cornell Tech site is. Uh, it'll be one of the wonders of the world. Um, first kind of bridge built in New York in 70 years. Um, we, have te- we have technology. Is it a pedestrian act- bridge? It'll be a pedestrian oh, bridge. Wait, a pedestrian, wait, you said non-vehicular. So non-vehicular. So just walk you can do mopeds, bikes, okay. walking. So non-automobile. Non-automobile, but could you imagine, Arthur, when you fly over LaGuardia coming into New York, the view you get, greatest view when you were, Ed Koch used to say, when he brought visitors to New York, he'd take them to the Queensboro Bridge and get that view of the city. The, is that the Ed Koch Bridge? That's the Ed Koch Bridge, exactly right. That's where our site is. So imagine having this, this bridge that connects our site from the Queens site over to Roosevelt Island where the Cornell Tech site is, we want to have a restaurant there, floating park. It'll be one of the wonders of the world. Okay, a couple of questions. Number one, I know because I did a little research. I wasn't going to let you come on here and just yep. blow smoke about something <laughs> that I didn't verify. There's a huge green component, a huge environmental component to this. Explain that to it's us. It's amazing. You know, everyone's going green. That's where the world is going. And New York City has to reduce carbon emissions because that's the imperative. In both projects, we want to build, and this is the first of its kind in the country, we want to build the first green energy district in America, right here in New York. Now, that I saw that. It just, I scratched my head because I don't think New York is looked at as being the greenest place, right, in, in the United States of America, Colorado and the Northwest. So you're saying that if this gets approved right. and is built, this is... Tell me that again. It's the first what first, zone? First, it's called, it's called a green energy district, meaning okay. it's not one building. It's several buildings, and it, it includes several blocks. And what does it mean that it's green? What are, it basically means that you, you have a house or an apartment. It's heated and cool with oil and with gas, right? Correct. Now, we take a boiler out of the building, and as opposed to using a boiler, we use geothermal technology. Water, which is from the river and underneath the ground, a little solar, a little battery. It's like a smorgasbord of technology. You put it together and you reduce carbon emissions because you no longer have to use oil or gas to heat or cool your building. It's phenomenal technology being used by the way, other parts of the world, but not here in America. Now, how, just to give us some inside City Hall, is this a project that gets approved by the city, by the state, by... Is it just totally private? It doesn't have to get approved by anyone? How does that work? And number one, and number two, how long is that going to take? I mean, am I going to be 90 looking at this uh-huh. thing? So mostly you can do this privately. There are some rules and regulations that you need state and city approval for. But I am so confident that Eric Adams um, is the kind of guy who will just embrace this project, as I think the governor will, that we can do this relatively quickly. Um, you know, there's a climate crisis. And if you listen to the president or Senator Schumer or anyone in New York, everyone's saying the same thing. In order to build back better and to get the city back on its feet, you got to get masses of people back to work in construction, in labor, in technology. This is one of the best ways to do it. We can do it privately. We can do it relatively quickly. We need some help from the government. I'm confident we'll get it. Is that federal government help? No. State? State. State. Okay. There'll be state and city help. I think we could do it. Okay. So 
We only got a couple minutes left. Um, <laughs> I hope I hope everyone listening got as much of an education as I just did. Um, obviously, housing in New York is an issue. Affordable Big. housing is an issue. Um, the maintaining. Well, real quick, you told me something about the income level in Harlem. Yeah, and the. I mean, basically, every every community, you know, you have to build, you know, and then be respectful of what the needs of the community are. So you're not going to build an apartment in Harlem that necessarily might be the same building you'd build, you know, in Midtown Manhattan or on Park Avenue or some other place. So it depends on where you're building. You have to be, you know, cognizant of who lives there, what the needs are, and we're trying to do that. You're a Yankee fan or a Met fan? You know, I, I used to be a huge Yankee fan. I still love the Yankees. When I was a kid, I was a Met fan. I love New York. So anything New York, you know, I, I'm, I'm there. Spoken like a true politician, <laughs> folks. Although I, I feel the same way. I don't really, really. And I got like a minute left. Let's talk about clothes. I know I know you love your clothes. Yeah. I know you love to, you go to Italy sometimes. As next week. I. You're going to Italy next week. I'm going. My, no, wa- my, no, my, my wife is going to Paris. She's going to Paris. So I told her, you're going to Paris. I'm going to Milan. Listen, you're gonna I, go to my restaurant then I'm, in Milan. I'm, well, you didn't he didn't invite me. Well, you're not in government now. You didn't now you can go, me. and I, I can pay for your meal and everything. I could take a free meal now. now I'm I, gonna go. I'm gonna go to Milan, maybe Naples, because listen, I'm a Jew, but I'm a wannabe Italian. I know. Keton, Cuccinelli, Attolini, well, the I've best. I've also seen your wine collection. My wine. I like Italian wine too. So I'm gonna go to Italy. I'm gonna drink a little wine. Get some clothes. You go by yourself, just bouncing? I'm going with a friend of mine. We might stop in Tel Aviv if we can get into Israel, do a little you know, hummus, a little falafel. It's nice being out of government, huh? You, you know, get to, yeah, yeah. Get to sp- spread your wings a little bit. Good. Hey, Bruce, you deserve it. You've been a, Thank you. a tremendous contributor to New York. But all those, those places you talked about, I mean, you must have done really well. I mean, I can't afford those places. Arthur. I mean, I go to Macy's to get a suit. Arthur, last week when you picked me up in your Ferrari, you told me <laughs> no problem. Bruce, all kidding aside, you know, I'm new to this radio thing and having you in here. And I said I said to uh, my buddy over here, Matt Sambolino, I'm like, I'm going to have a guest in. I go, I'm pretty sure he's a two-segment guest. I, I, he, <laughs> as the chief of staff, I think you did it. I think you spoke in front of the microphone at least once or twice, although Rudy had pretty sharp elbows around the microphone. He certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. God bless you and your wife and your children. And have a wonderful time in Italy. And I seriously, you're going to come and go and eat at my uh, restaurant in Milan. And uh, I could give you a couple places that, like, you could buy suits for, like, a normal amount of money. But if you look, if you want to go spend, as my Uncle Angelo said, I never saw a Brinks truck following a hearse. So, you know what? You deserve it. Spend all you want. And um, we're going to cover some interesting topics in our last 12 minutes. Um, some things that are going around all over the world and in the city as well. So we got a quick break, and we'll be back after these messages. I'm Neil Cavuto, and this is the Fox Business Report. Exceeding Wall Street expectations, Netflix reported fourth quarter net income of over $607 million after the stock market closed. And for the current quarter ending in April, Netflix said it expects revenue in the range of almost $8 billion. Stocks fell toward the close after showing solid gains for most of the session. The S&P 500, which had been up 1.5%, dropped 1.1%. The Dow Jones Industrials fell about 300 points, just under 1%, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq retreated 1%. 1.3%. Market watchers say it shows investors are still concerned about the prospects of tighter money and slowing economic growth. Shares of Peloton Interactive sank 15% following reports saying the company plans to temporarily halt production. The exercise bike maker is facing slowing demand. That's your Fox Business Report. I'm Sal Gian Grasso, invested in you.
Biden's massive spending plan has expanded America's money supply and taken money out of your pocket. But you can fight back against runaway inflation by sheltering your IRA or 401k with gold through Birch Gold Group. This is Stephen K. Bannon, and I'm proud to be a customer of Birch Gold. Join me. Birch Gold has created a free info kit on protecting your retirement with gold in a tax-sheltered account. Just text the words SHELTER to 989898. Text SHELTER to 989898 and learn how to shelter your IRA or 401k with gold. You want to feel important. You want to be a part of something bigger, something that matters and can help change things. You want to feel like you belong. We know. We felt that way, too. And that's why we did something about it. We aren't just Army National Guard soldiers. We are normal people just like you. And together, we can make a difference. Take on your legacy. Visit NationalGuard.com to find out more. Sponsored by the New York Army National Guard. Aired by the New York State Broadcasters Association and this station. Josie's on a vacation far away Come around and talk it over So many things that I want to say You know I like my girls a little bit older I just want to use your love Bolino's love, but um, they just came down, Matt, with a new policy in China, in Beijing. Okay. Now, it doesn't apply to everyone, but it does apply to a certain uh, section of the population in Beijing in response to the Omicron and what's going on over there, and they're, they're seeing a couple of cases. So, to be extra, extra sure... You ready for this, Sam Alito? Because I think Jerry Crowley is about to implement this uh, this policy here at AM nine seventy. The answer to you know the PCR test, correct? Yes. And here in the good U.S. of A., we put a little swab up the nose and mm-hmm. check it out. Now, some there are some tests now where you put it in the back of your throat. Okay, I think I know where this is but going. But in Beijing, Sam Bellino, they want to be extra one hundred percent certain. That you are not walking around with the COVID. So to make sure, Sam Bellino, I think this is going to start on Monday. So if you want to put in your letter of recommendation, uh, resignation, they now in China are taking anal swabs. Ooh. And it's not like the nose. Apparently, from the research says they're going up two inches. So And then it goes, it's a regular PCR test. So I don't know, Sam Bellino. The, the keister if, test? Yeah, it's the keister yeah. test. Yeah. You all right with that? Or, <laughs> I, I think mean, I'm not feeling uh, it'll, too good. It'll keep us all clean it here. It starts I mean, Monday? Okay. Yeah, it starts Monday. That's what uh, Jerry Crowley just got <coughs> the email. He said, start, start on Monday, bend over, spread your cheeks. <laughs> Oof, uh, no thanks. Yeah, when they told that to my Uncle Nunzio when he was uh, going for the draft in World War II, he bent over and he spread the cheeks on his face. <laughs> that's, what he, that's what he thought they meant. Um, I want to read you guys, um, by the way, that's, that is true. They are doing that in Beijing, not on a widespread basis, but in certain locations where I think they're seeing a little, pardon the term, flare-up of the, uh, the new Omicron. It's not so new anymore. Here's the email I get at 8.33 a.m. Hi, Arthur. Good morning. My name is blank, and I'm reaching out to you on behalf half of the, drumroll please, DraftKings VIP team. I lead initiatives to bring in high-value players, a.k.a. VIPs, to the company's online sportsbook platform, which recently went live in New York. 
And he goes on for two more paragraphs telling me they're going to get me into uh, sporting events and I'm going to have my own personal person that I could talk to and place my bets with if I don't want to do it on the phone. And I'm going to get this free money initially to gamble with. And, you know, I've been talking about this, but I mentioned I don't gamble. Like, I really, I really don't. I mean, I'll put my name on a box uh, for the Super Bowl. I'm actually doing it to raise money for a charitable organization that we'll talk about one day. But here I am getting an email, unsolicited email. Uh, you know, what, what my friend who's a school teacher, Chris Hassan, said yesterday is, you know, what effect is this going to have on the kids? And I'm not saying anything bad about DraftKings. Look. DraftKings and all the other ones, they're allowed to do this. I'm not blaming them. The the floodgates were opened by the uh, Assembly and the Senate and obviously the governor. And now, according to yesterday's governor's budget, there's going to be more floodgates open. There's going to be more casinos bringing in more money. Um, so I'm not coming down on DraftKings. They're, they're allowed to do it, and they're doing it. But boy, oh boy, are they doing it. Uh, I mean, again, I could, I was shocked when I got this email. I got to be honest with you. I when I first saw the the subject, I said DraftKings. Like, uh oh, they must have heard the radio show and they're coming after me. Or they uh, just the opposite. Um, let's keep our eyes open out there because um, this will happen slowly and gradually. But parents, keep your eyes on your kids. Look at these these DraftKings accounts, et cetera, et cetera. God knows how you guys are going to be inundated this weekend. There's some great football games going on. The one that I'm focused on is uh, Sunday night, uh, the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Buffalo Bills, if you think about it, are really the only true New York team since they actually play in New York. Um, The Brooklyn Nets squeaked by last night, winning by one point. Um, And I learned a little fact about New York. Sam Bellino, how many languages do you think are spoken in New York? Uh, that's probably at least over 100. 800. 800. Wow. 800. Yeah. Um, I, you know, that that makes me happy. I mean, I love the diversity. Uh, the in my, in, in my neighborhood in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, I mean, it is way diverse. You could eat from any country any day of the week. Anywhere. And you could hear different languages. And look, let's face it, where when I was a kid, especially in the Bensonhurst section of Brooklyn, 18th Avenue, which is now called Christopher Columbus uh, Boulevard, you only heard Italian. And it wasn't even Italian. It was like, it was Italian with the Calabrese dialect, the Bades dialect, or you heard Sicilian, which is its own language. That's, that's all gone. But that's what keeps America going. You know, when I was at that lunch today with Senator D'Amato, one of the things he was complaining about was the border crisis and how many people are coming in uh, illegally. And obviously, I want everyone to come in legally. But you, I talked to my landscaper um, in my little house out on Long Island. He said, I cannot get a, a kid who's in high school here to come and work. I can't. I'll pay him $25 an hour, $30 an hour. No, they don't want to work. The only people I can get to work, the only people who are going to really cut the lawns and cut the trees and do all everything that needs to be done are usually people who are over here illegally because they have that fire in their belly and they want to work. And I, I've told this to the senator, and he goes, well, what about the criminals who come through? And what about the drug dealers who come through? I said, yeah, that's a problem. I am not saying that we should just let everyone in, just open the door and you walk in. But a, a much tighter vetting process, if it's possible... Look, you, uh, we could have experts on to talk about the wall that was 
proposed and half put up to talk about different types of uh, customs, different kinds of security, using all kinds of technology that exists to stop people from coming here illegally. But I got news for you. If we don't let some new people in this country, I'm not exactly sure. I was at a restaurant having lunch with these people, and who, everyone who was serving us were not Native Americans. When I say Native Americans, were not people who were born in the United States of America. Every single one of them. I, I pointed, I go, look, no, nobody here. Everyone here is speaking with some form of an accent. For me, that's wonderful because I think of my grandfather, both of them, and I know the prejudice that they were up against when they were Italian-Americans in the 1920s and 30s and trying to make their way here. And I love the diversity. I love the 800 different languages here. Obviously, in my opinion, Everything should be done legally. So whether it's Alvin Bragg enforcing the law legally or coming to this country legally. And, the, and, and you know, years ago, people bent, bent over backwards to come here legally. Is it an issue that needs to be addressed? Absolutely. Um, Kevin McCullough. So Kevin has the show right after we do. And I have been remiss in not talking about Kevin. Kevin has some very uh, strong views on immigration. Kevin is a guy who helps people in other countries, especially Haiti. Um, He's got a heart of gold. He's got a great show. Every night of the week, he covers a different uh, subject matter. I believe last night he had Dr. Siegel on, who was a great guest. Uh, I worked with Dr. Siegel at Fox. Uh, Tonight... I used to be on. I used to do the, the legal hour with him. Tonight, my partner and brother from another mother, Imran Ansari, will be on. They'll be talking about the legal topics of the day. And one of the legal topics of the day, I don't know if they're going to address this or not, but I am going to address it tomorrow. Tomorrow, we're going to do like a United States Supreme Court show a little bit. Don't worry. I'll make it interesting and I won't make it boring. But these are I'm going to focus on the cases that actually affect people's lives, not the administrative code cases and tax law cases. But um, the United States Supreme Court today uh, ruled against the abortion clinic in Texas who said, "Okay, you are not in a full ruling in an initial ruling a couple of weeks ago. You said that the Texas law limiting the time for a woman to have an abortion to six weeks um, can stay in place until it is further litigated. We're asking you right this second, send it back down to the federal court to be litigated more quickly. And the justices said, no, uh, we're going to do things the right way. It was six to three, the three being Sonia Sotomayor, Justice Kagan and Justice Breyer, who said no, who said it should go down to the federal court, the lower district court now. And we shouldn't waste any more time because there are people who want to get this treatment, meaning an abortion, um, and they should be entitled to it. And the other six justices said, no, 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 no. We are going to follow the the laws and the procedures that um, are in place. And finally, oh, quick news. Um, Mayor Adams did keep his campaign promise and took his first paycheck and converted it into cryptocurrency. That is definitely a show we have to do because I'm surrounded with it in criminal law now. I'm figuring out to some degree what it means and and what it means to us. I I see all these people with millions of dollars in cryptocurrency. And when I ask them to withdraw some to pay a bill, they're like, well, it's restricted or I can't really get to it. So I we need to figure this out because it's here. Right. If the mayor is putting his check into cryptocurrency, then it's got to be legitimate. And last but not least, you know, 
Everyone makes mistakes. Big Bird sings that. And I made a mistake last night. I was remiss. Um, and, and she was listening. Yesterday was my mother-in-law's birthday, Nanette Bertuna. And I had it big written on my pad, you know, wish Mimi a happy birthday. And I failed to do so. And right after the show, they called and they were listening and they wanted to wait to dinner. I just felt like such a bozo for not doing that. Um, she is, you know, people make all these mother-in-law jokes, not me. I am blessed. My mother-in-law is spectacular. Many of you know I have this little beautiful angel of a daughter who's two months old. And I have a very vivacious son. That's a nice way to put it. Who's five. And, of course, Luca, who's 15. And she treats all of them with all love and caring and attention. And everyone should be like Nanette Bertuna. And this place would be a better world. Thanks. The preceding program sponsored by Freehold Mitsubishi.